you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And Micah's actually prophesying. He's speaking to the people of Israel, and he is both warning them and comforting them. I'm so glad that every time God gives us a warning, he also gives us a solution. Somebody say amen. I believe that God loves us, and there are times when God wants to discipline us so that we'll get back to him, so that we'll recognize that in all of the stuff that we have in our life, that he becomes number one in our life, and we're desperate for him. And the people of Israel, they were steeped in idolatry, and as a result of that, they had turned their back on God, and judgment was coming. Now, sometimes God just lifts his blessing. Sometimes he lifts his security off of us. Sometimes he lifts his protection off of us. And he allows us to go through things. He allows us to suffer the consequences of the decisions of our life when we leave God out of the picture. And so in just a little while, there's going to be an army that's going to come and besiege Jerusalem. But the, but the prophet Micah says, he says, even though that's going to happen, he said, I want you to know that out of Bethlehem, even though Bethlehem is a small little town, oh, little town of Bethlehem, there will come a savior, there will come a redeemer, there will come one who will come forth, who is of ancient times, and when he comes, he's going to change the world out of this little town of Bethlehem. Now, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. So every time you go to Panera, think of Bethlehem. Because the word Bethlehem actually means the house of bread, or in Hebrew, the bread house. And I thank God that our name is Bethlehem, because every week we come here, and all the time we hear the word of God, and the Bible tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and became the bread of life. Think about it for a moment in that little town, in that little manger, in that little trough, there was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And the Bible tells us that if we eat of this bread, it will satisfy us and we'll no longer be hungry. In fact, Jesus finds a woman at the well and he tells the woman, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places and all the wrong situations. You've got five husbands and the guy that you're living with, he's not even married to you. But he said, if you drink of this living water, you will never thirst again. And I want you to know to Today, that no matter what you try in this world, it will always leave you empty. It will always leave you thirsting for more. But when you've got Jesus, when you've got the bread of life, you've got everything that you need. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You've got everything that you need when you've got Jesus. He is the house of bread. He is the bread in the house. Come on, somebody. So every time you go to Panera, think of Jesus. The house of bread. But I know that all of us in this room, we're, we're, we're about to enter into a busy season. You know, Christmas time is busy. You know, I want to be honest with you. I'm trying to simplify my life. And Christmas time gets complicated because there's all these parties. 
you know, we've got all these ministries in the church and they all have a party. And they all want Pastor Steve to come. And then we've got outside parties and we've got Assemblies of God parties. And you know, I've had to say to some people, listen, I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't come to another party. I want to get into my jeans on January 1. And the truth of the matter is, is that we get so busy. There's going to be, there's going to be company parties and office parties, and there's going to be family and lots of family. And thank God that my little daughter Jenna is back home. Hallelujah. Right, come on, you could do better than that. My little daughter Jenna's back home. Come on. I went to misery. I mean Missouri. I picked her up, we drove two and a half days all the way back home, and I just thought, my little daughter's coming home. I, I'm so happy. And you know, she has a boyfriend now. And he's sitting right next to her. And we had that talk, you know. He's a fine young man, his name is Matthew. You be nice to Matthew, he's from Missouri. He's from Missouri. And so, let's be nice New Yorkers. So go over and say, how you doing? And then say, if you touch her, we'll break your legs. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, some, some, of the, some of the security already got a hold of him, you know? Like, some of the security guards like, Matthew. <laughs> but, but it's good to have them back home. It really, really is. Uh, but we're going to have all these parties. We're going to have all these family members. We're just going to have a good time. But, you know, in the midst of all of that, I am convinced that there are many people that are in this room, there are many people that are in the cafe, there are many people in the balcony, and there are many people, hundreds of people that are watching via live stream today, and the truth of the matter is that you need a miracle in your life. Some of you need a miracle in your marriage, some of you need a miracle financially, some of you need a miracle physically in your body, some of you need a miracle with your family members, some of you need a miracle with your son or daughter, you need a major miracle in your life. Now I want you to know something, that so often when God talks to me about a series of messages, he gives me one word, he paints a picture for me, he gives me a word, he gives me a number, he gives me something, and man, I'll tell you a couple of weeks ago, I was just in bed. I woke up and I heard the word Bethlehem, Bethlehem. And I got so excited about the word Bethlehem. And I began to study about Bethlehem. And here's what I learned about Bethlehem. Number one, Bethlehem was a very important city, yet it was a very small city. It was the city of David. And now that's very important. And I'll talk about it in a little while. The city of David, the city of promise the city of royalty, the city of sonship. Yet it was a small little city and it was forgotten by most people. And Micah tells the people of Israel that your miracle is coming in a small way, but it's going to turn into a big miracle. It's gonna start out as a seed and it's gonna turn into a miracle that's gonna change the world. And here's what I've learned about Bethlehem, the house of God. The number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to take out your smartphones. I want you to get on Facebook. And I don't want you to stay on Facebook, but I want you to make this statement. That Bethlehem reminds us that God always uses little things to create big miracles. Bethlehem represents God's ability to take something small and use it in a really big way. 
I want you to say that with me. Bethlehem represents God's ability to take something small and use it in a really big way. God always starts out with a seed. Did you ever notice that? In fact, before God created anything, he created the seed. And within that seed, there was the potential of a great harvest. Within that seed, there was a potential of God multiplying and exponentially doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Did you know that in every seed, there are multiple miracles? He takes the seed, you plant it in the ground, and you create a harvest of miracles. You create a harvest, an exponential harvest of great ability and possibility and potential. You know, I love young people. I love young people. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that I am just so, so excited and passionate about what God is going to do amongst the young men in our church. I believe that there are young warriors, young men in our church that are going to rise up and they're going to do greater things than I've ever done in my life. I believe there's going to be young men that are going to rise up and they're going to plant churches and they're going to be missionaries and they're going to do great works. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the young ladies, but there's something that God has spoken in my heart that God is going to raise up young warriors. He's going to raise up young warriors that know God, that are passionate about God. He's going to raise up young Davids who know God, that are men after God's own heart, that know God in a way that I've never even known God, in a way that they're going to do things that I've never seen in my own ministry. I believe that with all my heart. You see, there's a seed of greatness in every young man in this room. There's a seed of greatness in your life, young man. And that seed has the potential to create miracle after miracle after miracle. There's a seed of greatness in all of us. It starts as a little seed. You see, and Bethlehem being little, Micah says, although you are so little, out of you will come one who is of ancient times. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah. Most apologists will tell you that this is a direct understanding prophetic word about Jesus, the Messiah. And so he says, out of Bethlehem, even though Bethlehem, you're so small. Where was Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem is located seven miles away from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the capital of, of everything that happens in the world. You know, I know some people say, well, Jesus has to be coming back because America's a mess. Listen, let's not get so arrogant. The Bible doesn't even speak about uh, the United States, but the Bible speaks a lot about Jerusalem. And so if you want to know when Jesus is coming back, if you want to know what God is up to, look to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the hub of the world. And there's a little town called Bethlehem. And, and you would have thought that if God wanted to send a king, if God wanted to send his son, he would have sent them in Jerusalem. He would have sent them and he would have been born in a palace. He would have been born in opulence. And yet the Bible tells us that he's born in Bethlehem in a manger. And that is significant. Why? Because it gives us all hope to recognize that God can use anything and he uses the small things in our life and he turns it into something big in our life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God has the ability to take something small and use it for his glory. He always did that in the scriptures, doesn't he? He comes to a widow's house. And the Bible says that, that the widow was crying out to the prophet and the widow said, listen, my husband died, and now they're coming for my sons, and they want to put him in debtor's prison because I don't have any money to pay, and I need somebody. 
and I need somebody to give me something. I, I need a little something so that I can pay off my bills. In fact, not only do I need a little something of this, I need a little something of this and this and this and this, and that adds up to something big. And so the prophet says, what do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing in the house. Let me tell you something, my friend. Your miracle is already in the house. I said, your miracle is already in the house. There's something that you have already that's a miracle in the waiting. It's a miracle that God wants to use in your house. It might be a little talent. It might be a son or daughter. It might be a little something that you can bring to God. But when you give it to God, when you offer it to God, God can turn a little into much. It's like that little boy who has five loaves of bread and two sardines. He gives it to Jesus and God takes that and he multiplies it and he feeds 5,000 men and many more children and women. God is a specialist in taking the little that we give them and turn it into much. Glory to God. You see, God is so huge. God is so big. God is, as my daughter Jenna says, ginormous. God is so ginormous that he could take the little seed and turn it into something big. It's the kingdom principle. It's a kingdom principle that God takes a little and turns it into much. You know why? So that we never can get the credit. He sent Jesus to Bethlehem to remind us that he only leads a little and he only works with a little first so that nobody gets the credit but him. So he, he constantly wows me. Doesn't he wow you? When you think about the little that you offer to God and he can take that little and turn it into much. But the secret and God taking the little and turning it into much is that we have to give it to God. Listen to me. Here it is. Here's the secret. If you take the seed and you hoard the seed and you eat the seed and you consume it on yourself, you eat for a moment, you die tomorrow. But if you take that seed and you plant that seed in the ground, and that takes a lot of faith. Because we always want to consume more on ourselves, don't we? I don't have enough. I don't have enough to tithe. I don't have enough to give 10%. I don't have enough to give God my first. I don't have enough to put in the offering. I don't have enough strength to give to somebody else. I don't have enough whatever it is in my life to give to somebody else. But the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because when you give, God gives back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Glory to God. I have never seen God uh, say to me, I'm sorry, I've run out of, uh, I've run out of supply. I've run out of blessing. I've run out of things. I'm sorry. You got to come back tomorrow. Let me tell you, in the storehouse of heaven, there is enough of bounty for you. And the Bible says, if you give to God, God will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. The miracle is in the house. The miracle's in your house. So, so the prophet comes to another widow he, he specializes in widows. He comes to another widow and he says to the woman, listen, he says, I'm hungry. I've been traveling for days. Give me something to eat. And the widow says, are you crazy? He says, she says, I only have just a small little amount of flour, just a tiny bit of flour and just a little bit of oil. And there was a famine in the land, and the Bible says there was no bread in the house. 
So she was going to take a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and she was going to make a bread cake. <laughs> Listen, the house of bread. Hallelujah. Bethlehem. The house, the bread house. Panera house. Hallelujah. And she, sold the, she told the prophet, she said, Listen, I'm going to take this. I'm going to cook it. And me and my son, we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And the prophet said to her, Listen, if you make it, if you bake it and you give it to me, I will pray and God will take that bread that you gave to the Lord and he will multiply it and you will eat for the rest of your life. The choice was, do I eat for a day or do I plant the seed for the future? And I want to tell you today that God wants to use the little that you have and turn it into something great. So what is this little that you have Maybe it's a little talent. Maybe you say, you know what? I don't, I don't have a lot of talent. I can't speak like so-and-so. I can't sing like so-and-so. I can't do this. I can't do that. Stop focusing on what you can't do and start looking at what's already in the house. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God has given you a talent. God has given you ability. And you can use that ability, that talent. You say, yes, I can. You can start speaking to the children. You can start speaking to the youth. You can use the little and God will turn the little into much, but you've got to be faithful in giving it out oh I know some people they want to start here pastor Steve I'm called to be in the ministry and I want to be an evangelist and I want to win the world let me tell you something God's telling every one of us in this room you start with a little and if you're faithful with a little I'll give you more I always tell young people you want to be a pastor you want to speak in front of hundreds of people then go and speak to the toilet bowl what do you mean go clean the toilet bowl and while you're cleaning the toilet bowl prophesy to the toilet bowl hallelujah just prophesy to the toilet speak preach to the toilet bowl hallelujah be faithful in the little you know the bible says when you're faithful in the little god will give you more oh we want to start here we want to start with the great crowds God tells you, no, 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 start here. I started with a little crowd. I started with a, a few young, young people downstairs in the basement, in the basement of the church. For years, for three years, I spoke to teenagers. There were five, eight teenagers, 15. Then we had revival. We went down to two. And, then <laughs> and I remember every Friday night driving Five teenagers, ten teenagers home, dropping them off at home, getting home at two o'clock in the morning, wondering, what in the world am I doing? This is crazy. Nobody sees it. Nobody recognizes it. Nobody's thanking me. But you see, God, he always sees. Hallelujah. He sees what you do in secret. Hallelujah. He sees when you go into your prayer closet. He sees when you take that money out and you give it to a missionary. Hallelujah. He sees when you give somebody a hug. He sees when you warmly greet somebody in the church. He sees when, you live, when, you're, when you're loving somebody in the name of Jesus. When nobody else sees it, he sees you back in the nursery changing a little kid's diaper. And he records it. And he says, faithful, faithful to change the poop. <laughs> faithful, cleaning the toilet, check it off. Faithful, driving the kids home. Faithful, and being loving and compassionate to people who come to Bethlehem Assembly of God. Faithful, and giving somebody 
a cup of coffee, hallelujah, in the cafe, faithful in praying in the prayer closet. Oh, man, I can use that guy. You know why? Because he's not looking for credit. He's not looking for popularity. He's not looking for people to pat him on the back. He's just looking for my approval. He's looking for me to say, yes, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Listen, you've got to start using the little, and God will give you more. Glory to God. Number two, Bethlehem reminds us, listen to me, of God's ability to use those people that seem insignificant. Not only does God use the little that you give him, but you know, sometimes we feel not only little, but we feel insignificant. Have you ever walked into a room and felt insignificant? I have. Man, I, I walk into the room and these guys got PhDs. You know what PhD means, right? Papa has dough. And these guys got PhDs. They've got master degrees. Man, they know the Bible. I mean, they are scholarly. You know, you know, here's the truth, and I say this all the time, that when you compare yourself to somebody else, that you either feel better about yourself or you feel worse about yourself, but you never see yourself the way that God sees you. <laughs> I went to Missouri, and... Missouri, they have a lot of wonderful things there. They've got things like tipping cows at 12 o'clock in the evening. Um, they got a lot of land, lot, lots of land. Um, and, uh, but they, but they've, got a good, they've got a good hockey team, right? And they've got a good baseball team, right? And they've also got great churches. There's some really great churches in Missouri. So I went to visit a great church in Missouri, James River Assembly of God. Unbelievable. The pastor is unbelievable. They have 16,000 people in the church. The church is so large that they have their own Starbucks in the church. <laughs> Starbucks. The church is so big that they have Starbucks in the main campus, all the other campus, and they have satellite Starbucks in the campuses. That's how big the church is. I mean, you get lost in the church. It's like a city. And I'm looking around. I'm looking at everything. I'm like, wow. And I'm feeling very insignificant. You know, like I'm like, okay, I love my little church back in New York, but the restrooms are bigger than the sanctuary in this church. <laughs> And I'm feeling pretty insignificant at that moment, you know, and I, I had an opportunity to actually meet the pastor and sit with him for an hour and just talk to him, and he was such a humble man of God, just, just unbelievable. I, just, I was just so moved by his humility, and he told me the story about how he started with just a handful of people and how God is blessed in amazing ways. But, you know, when you compare yourself to somebody else, you always feel a little bit less insignificant about yourself or a little more insignificant, and, and you feel... Like, man, I'll, I'll never get there. I, I actually literally walked through the corridors of the building, and the enemy started to speak to me. You'll never have this. And to be honest with you, I started lusting, man. I was like, man, oh, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have that. You know? And, and when you compare yourself to someone else, you never hear the voice of God for you. But now I go to another church, and they got 50 people in the church. And I start going, oh, my, my church. You should come to my church. My church, man, we got two campuses almost, you know. We got this, we got that, and we've planted out churches and all of that. And we, we start to get filled with pride, and we become arrogant. 
But I, I, have, I have to tell you, there have been times when I have felt insignificant in the midst of other people. But I, I've learned that every single person is significant in the eyes of God. That's why, let me tell you something, I am pro-life, pro-life all the way from conception. I'm going to tell you why I'm pro-life from conception. Because I believe there's no accidents in the kingdom of God. You may think it's an accident, but God never has an accident. Glory to God. God is up to something big. And we need to let people know. We need to let every child know. We need to let every young person know. We need to let everyone know in the world that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are to respect every human being, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what color they are, no matter what culture they are, they need to understand and we need to convey to them that they are significant in the sight of God for God so loved the cosmos he loved the world he loved every individual being that he sent the bread of life down into the place called the house of bread into a trough so that everyone would understand that they are significant in the sight of God but let me be honest we all struggle with insecurities in our life how many of you struggle with insecurity in your life let me see I'm in the right place look at that look at that do you, know, do you know why we struggle so much with insecurity? Look, look at how many hands. Put your hands up again. Put your hands up again. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. G give me a wallet. Give me a wallet. Give me a wallet. <laughs> do you know why we struggle with insecurity in our life? Because we know how human we really are. We know that we struggle with sin. And even when we're looking good outwardly, even when we're looking religious, even when we're looking holy, even when we look like we've got it all together, the truth is none of us in this room have it all together. You're a basket case, hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a basket case. You say, I'm not speaking that over myself. Listen, you're a mess. But it's okay. But it's all right. We struggle. You say, Pastor, if you knew the things that I struggle with, if you knew the thoughts that I have on a daily basis, Pastor Steve, you wouldn't let me in the church. Hmm? How many of you have felt so insignificant at times and insecure at times? You really felt like if anybody really knew the real you, they wouldn't accept you. Let me see your hands. Come on. Okay, three of you now. <laughs> yeah, the rest of you need counseling, seriously. <laughs> Denial is a bad thing. And the reason why we feel so insignificant is we know that we're sinful. We know that we mess up. We know that we fall short of the glory of God in our life. We know that we have struggles in our life. We know that we sin. And as a result of that, the enemy works overtime to make us feel condemned. And the one thing that he heaps on us is this feeling of insignificance. Well, uh, of course Pastor Steve does that. Of course so-and-so does that. They're holier than you are. They're better than you are. They're smarter than you are. But, but you can't do that because you've got a lot of problems in your life. And he heaps the condemnation. But here's what the word of God says. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know why there's no condemnation? Because Bethlehem represents God's ability to, say, to take someone who seems insignificant and use them in significant ways. Think about the people that Jesus used in his ministry. I mean, he uses 12 guys. One guy's a thief. He knows that guy's going to betray him, and yet he's still using him. One guy's impetuous. One guy's got a big mouth. 
Two guys want to barbecue everybody, the sons of thunder. Come on, they drive up in their Harley like, And when they reject Jesus, they're like, Jesus, call down fire from heaven. Let's barbecue. Let's have a bar. Let's have a people barbecue. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, think about the people that Jesus used. He used a tax collector. No offense. He's an IRS guy. And he's stealing from people. I mean, he's using thieves. Think, think about the people that Jesus is attracted to. Think about it. See, because when we read the Bible, the truth of the matter is we detach ourselves from the people in the Bible. We either feel like they're much holier than us, like Paul the Apostle. I could never be a Paul the Apostle. Or John or Peter. Or we detach ourselves from the religious people, the Pharisees. We're not a Pharisee. We're not legalistic. We're not judgmental. We accept people just the way they are. Do you know, one day, one day, I'm going to get fake earrings and put them in my ear. Two big diamond earrings like here. And I'm going to get that Hannah tattoo. It comes off in a little while because I don't really like And I'm going to paint my face like, like Michael Tyson has his tattoo right across there. I'm going to put another tattoo over here on my arm. I'm going to come in with ripped jeans on. I'm going to preach. And then when I'm finished with the sermon, I'm going to ask you the question, how many of you couldn't hear a word that I said because you were so offended by my earrings and my tattoos and my ripped jeans? Hello? I just did it without having to do it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't look at people the same way. The truth of the matter is, the Bible is a mirror reflection of who we are. Because if we would be honest with ourselves, we look at people differently based on how much money they make, based on how they dress. That's why the book of James says that there are going to be people that come into the church and when they come into the church and they look really nice, they've got a nice suit on, they've got a beautiful dress on, and they've got nice jewelry on, be careful because the first temptation we have is to run over to that person and say, they've got it all together. Come on, sit in the front row. You get the best seat. But then somebody else comes into the church and they don't smell so good, they don't look so good, they don't really behave so good, and we tell them, you could sit in the closet. <laughs> We've got a TV just for you in the closet. You know, I want to I tell you something. That, that I'll bet you that many of you have encountered angels unaware. I'll bet you that many of us have encountered angels on the streets of New York. We've encountered angels on the sidewalks, sleeping on the sidewalks in New York City. People with little signs that said, can you help? We have, we have bumped into angels in the hallways of the church. We have bumped into angels downstairs in the cafe. An angel might be sitting right next to you right now. Turn to your name and say, you're an angel. <laughs> Better than being a demon. You know, the book of Hebrews says, be careful to treat people with incredible dignity and respect because 
You might be entertaining an angel without even knowing it. Yeah, so, so I went to church last Sunday, and the pastor, Pastor John Lindell, awesome guy, he speaks about 30, 40 minutes long, and, and uh, he just felt led of the Lord to speak about angels, and so he spoke for about 55 minutes about angels. And um, so I had a meeting with him, and he was telling me about, you know, that, that he really felt like the Lord impressed on his heart to speak about angels, and I'm like, yeah, that's great, you know, it's cool, I learned some things about angels today, you know. So now I'm driving home from Missouri, I mean Missouri, and on the way home from Missouri, I'm in a truck. Now, I don't like to drive a car, but now I have to drive a truck, and it's this big Penske truck, you know, big truck with all this furniture in it, and we've got two cars following behind, and it's late at night. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're going up the hill and down the hill, and, and it's dark. There's no lights on this place, and I'm driving the car, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I've got a big truck full of things. We're going up the mountain, down the mountain. I start thinking. I start sweating a little bit, and you know, and then all of a sudden, I thought of John Lynn. Sermon. In fact, I texted his secretary last night and said, I want you to let Pastor John know his sermon was worth it. Why? Because I was driving down the road and I started thinking to myself, hey, I've got nothing to fear because I've got angels around this vehicle right now. They're, they're there protecting me. And I started singing hallelujah. I started, you know, listen, when you're in a situation like that, it's not the new songs that get you. It's the old songs. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Can your blessing? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, and who can? What he's done for others, he will do for you. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, we have the victory. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious. I for there, for there, singing, why for there? Come on, yo. I for there, for there, singing, why for there? Hallelujah. Oh, let me tell you something. There's nothing like the oldies, amen? Oh, when you're driving down the road and you're getting a little panicking, you sing the oldies. Hallelujah. So we're driving and I think to myself, you know what? There's angels all around. Hallelujah. And you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes we don't treat people with respect because we don't see the significance of who they are in their life. And sometimes we feel insignificant. But remember what Paul the Apostle said. Listen to me. He said, none of you that God has called from the beginning were popular or rich or wealthy or distinguished because God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Hallelujah. 
that God can use me, that God can use you. Have you ever felt foolish in your life? Have you ever felt insignificant? Have you ever felt like everybody else can do something, but I can't do anything? Get ready, because you're, you're a candidate, a prime candidate for God to use you in a great way in your life. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses 12 disciples to change the world. And God wants to use you to change your world. You know, we keep on waiting for the big stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is God wants to use you at work. You know, if every Christian, if every Christian would just simply decide to win one person to the Lord, do you know how many millions of Christians there are in this world? And if every Christian decided to pray for one person to come to Jesus, we would see millions of people come to Christ every year. God wants to use you. God wants to use you where you are. God wants to use you in spite of your faults, in spite of your limitations, in spite of your hang-ups. God wants to use you. If he can use a donkey, if he can use a couple of loaves of bread and sardine, if he can use a little bit of flour and oil, friend, I want you to know today, he can use you. Thirdly, quickly, as the worship team comes, it gives us all hope in this room that I'm going to finish soon. Bethlehem represents God's ability to remember what others have forgotten. Bethlehem was the city of David. And yet the Jews forgot that out of Bethlehem would come the Messiah. You know, when I read the Bible, check this out. When I read the Bible, and I've been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because I want to get the Christmas story in me, right? So this morning, I started again early in the morning, started listening to Matthew chapter 1. And you know what happens when you start listening to Matthew chapter 1 or reading Matthew chapter 1? It's genealogy. And the genealogy is this one begatting this one and this one begatting this one and this one. And so, so on, so forth begat so on and so on and so on and so and someone begat so on and so on and so on and so on and and on and on there's this genealogy of people that begat people so this person begat this person and 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 it goes on and on and on and here's my temptation my temptation is to just skip over the bagats and get to the good stuff. But, but contained in the bagats, listen to me, contained in those names, contained in all of those people who begat so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is the promise of God that God never forgets. Hallelujah. That God said from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, when mankind sinned, the Bible says that God said to the devil, the seed of the woman will come and you will bruise the heel, but he will crush your head. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the Old Testament, we could see the begats of God. This person Person begat this person, this person, this person. Why? Because ultimately in Bethlehem there will be a little child who was begotten by a father, and that father was begotten by that father, and so and so and so and so. And that line, that scarlet thread of redemption is found in all the begats. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
See, you see, Matthew is tracing the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph all the way to the beginning. Through his parents all the way to the beginning. Because when we read the genealogy, when we read Matthew chapter 1, we should smile. Because every time we read every name, it reminds us that God never forgets a promise that he made to us. Hallelujah. That God never forgets a promise. And to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And we want God to do it in our time. In our timetable. We want God to perform a miracle in our moment of crying out to God. But God says, when I make a promise, I never forget the promise. It may take a long time. You may have to wait. But I never forget a promise. And in the genealogy is found the very faithfulness of God. I'm reminded of a woman named Naomi. She was a young woman in the Bible, and she had great dreams and aspirations. She believed in the God of miracles when she was younger. And the Bible says Naomi, she married a young man, and there was a famine, listen to me, there was a famine in Bethlehem. There was no more bread in Bethlehem. There was no more bread in the house. And so the Bible says that Naomi and her husband, they went to another land where they could find bread. Listen to me. Look at me, every one of you in this room. Some of you have gone out of the will of God in your life. You feel like there's no bread in the house and you've got to find bread somebody else, somewhere else. You find that you're, you're starting to get hungry again for the things of this world, the idols of this world, because you're tired of being in the house of the Lord. Maybe you're a young person and you think there's something better out there in the world. Let me tell you something. You go into the world, you take yourself out of the house of the Lord today. And you go into this new place that you think there's bread, but you'll eat and you will become dry and empty and hungry again. And the Bible says Naomi and her husband went to another place. But then... During that time that she was in that other place, she had two sons. The Bible says those two sons grew up and had wives. And over time, the Bible says Naomi's husband died, her two sons died, and she was left with just her two daughter-in-laws. And she heard in Bethlehem, listen to me, look at me, look at me. In Bethlehem, there's bread again, hallelujah. And she went back to Bethlehem, to the house of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you today, for some of you, it's time to come back to the house of the Lord. Maybe you're watching via live stream today and you say, I can't come back. I want you to know that there's enough bread here. God wants you to come back. He wants you to come home again to the house of God, to the house of bread. Naomi comes to the house of bread. She comes to Bethlehem and the women run out to greet Naomi and they say, no, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. And Naomi says, don't call me, Naomi. Call me Mara, for my life has been bitter. Why? Because God has forgotten me. Have you ever felt like God forgot you? 
Have you ever felt like God made a promise to you? But you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. God made a promise that your son, your daughter would come back to the house of God, to the house of bread. God made you a promise that one day he would restore your marriage. God made you a promise that one day he would bless you, open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain, that God would heal your body. Whatever the promise is, but you feel like you've been sidelined and God has forgotten you and he's forgotten the promise. God never forgets a promise. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. God has forgotten me. Little did Naomi knew Little did she know that in the house of bread, God had a plan. One of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, she was a beautiful young lady. She went back with Naomi to the house of bread. And during that time, the Bible tells us that a young man named Boaz fell in love with Ruth. And Boaz becomes Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Naomi now recognizes at the end of her life that God never forgets a promise. Hallelujah. Never, ever. He's at work. He's at work in ways that we cannot understand. He's shifting things and moving things. And maybe today you feel like you've made a mistake in your life. Maybe you feel like you've taken yourself out of the will of God. Maybe you've made a decision in your life and you say, how in the world can God repair this? I'm telling you that God is the God of second chances. That God is the God that can take your mess and turn it into a blessing. Hallelujah. He can take your mess and turn it into blessed. Hallelujah. If we come to God and say, God, forgive me. The Bible tells us at the end of the story that Ruth marries Boaz. Listen to me. Here it is. And Boaz and Ruth become the parents, the great-grandparents of David. King David. And King David becomes the the parent of Solomon. And Solomon becomes the the parent of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam becomes the father of so on, and so on, and so on, begat so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, begat so on, begat somebody, begat, 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 all the way through Micah, and all the way through Malachi, all the way through Matthew, all the way through Luke, all the way through Mark, all the way through John, all the way up until we get to O little town of Bethlehem. And in that trough is a loaf of bread called the bread of life. Hallelujah. And he comes through the promise that God made to Naomi when she walked down that road to Bethlehem. She didn't realize God still had a plan for her life. Bethlehem represents God's ability to remember what others have forgotten. Do you feel like God has forgotten? Today, God's reminding you he never forgets a promise that he makes to you. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes?